This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by the Trek Geek Shop. Now you can help support our show and get yourself some cool Star Trek gear at the same time. Check out our line of t-shirts, mugs, hats, and other items for your inner Trek geek at shop.trekgeeks.com. Hi, this is Michelle Specht. Dr. McKenna on Star Trek Continues. As ship's counselor, I am recommending you listen to the soothing sounds of the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Doctor's Orders. Biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Welcome, one and all, to Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. This is episode number 61. We have such a great discussion on tap for you tonight. This is an episode we've been waiting a long time to do. Some might say almost about six months. But uh, to talk more about that, I'd like to introduce my co-host. He's a man who's had a relationship with the English language that you could equate to Maybe casual speed dating, and then he decided, yeah, there's nothing here. He's the linguistically challenged Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. I like habaneros. <laughs> Hi, Bill. Hi. <laughs> you know, hey. thanks for th- I-, I love every week. Every week, I just can't wait to hear what you're going to say for the introduction. And every week, you do not disappoint. Sort of like an episode of Star Trek Continues. You just don't disappoint. Well, that's really high bar. I, I feel pressure to deliver now. I never did before. <laughs> but now that the executive producer says that I'm doing well, I, uh, I have to do well now. Here we go. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm kind of screwed. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Dan, since you already let the cat out of the bag, and so did I in a way, tonight we're going to talk about the long-awaited sixth episode of Star Trek Continues, Come not between the dragons, and you and I have probably been waiting longer than than oh. some people, at least in our minds. It feels like it has been forever because we had the unbelievable honor of being down in Georgia while they were filming this episode for for parts of it, and we got to see what was going on, and we didn't really have an idea of things. We never saw what this thing that had gotten into the ship was we only were standing in in front of the bridge uh uh set so to be able to finally put it all together and see what it is it has been a long time waiting for us and it did not disappoint at all not one bit before we get started tonight we're probably going to remind you several times but this is a spoiler-tastic episode of the podcast we will be directly discussing events, plot lines, and, you know, general spoilerish things from this episode of Star Trek Continues. So if you have not watched Come Not Between the Dragons yet, please put this podcast on pause, go watch the episode, and then come right back to us, because we definitely don't want to ruin anything for you as far as this episode goes. Um, 
Dan, before we get started, why don't you tell the good people in our listening audience how they might be able to get in touch with us? Yes, absolutely. As always, we're everywhere on social media nowadays. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype. Our handle is Trek Geeks. You can also send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com or just pick up your cell phone or go to a payphone, put a dime in or whatever the heck it costs these days because I haven't used a payphone in forever. Uh, but give us a call at 508-784-1701 and leave us a message. Or you can go uh, online to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks and leave us a would that be a digital voicemail, Bill? Um, sure. I'll go with that. Sure. Digital voicemail. All right. Sure. Also, um, go on over to Facebook. We have an official group now called Camp Kittimer. We got a lot of great people in there. We got some great discussion going on. Um, one of the perks of being in Camp Kittimer is you're going to get early access to episodes of the Trek Geeks podcast, which is pretty cool. Um, and to join the group, just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. It's that simple. And uh, also, as always, just remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Back to the studio, Bill. Thank you, Dan. Try not to yell. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Dan, it's undeniable that Star Trek continues feels like the original series. And it, it reminds me of that passion I had for the original Star Trek, which I grew up watching as you did. And it may remind people of the very first time they watched Star Trek. And that's why we want people to let us know about their first Trek. For our special Trek 50 campaign, all you have to do is leave us a message telling you how you began your Trek. You know, we all have a different entry path into being Star Trek fans. So which episode was your first? Or maybe it was a movie. Or maybe it was one of the JJ movies. That would be really cool. But we're going to take all of your messages that you leave us, and we're going to publish them as a special podcast episode the week of Star Trek's 50th anniversary in September. So as Dan mentioned earlier, you can call us at 508-784-1701 and leave us a voicemail. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks and send us a message there. We do ask that your message is no longer than three minutes in length, but you can get all the details at the special page we have set up at trekgeeks.com slash trek50. That's trekgeeks.com slash trek50 for all the info. Okay, everyone, this is your last chance. If you have not seen Come Not Between the Dragons, you'll want to pause now. But be careful, because from here on in, it's nothing but spoilers. And we're starting in three, two... One. It's shift change on the bridge. Captain Kirk relieves Scotty in the center chair, and several members of the second shift depart the bridge, except Chekhov. Below decks, Lieutenant Smith and Ensign Taylor are leaving the turbo lift as Dr. McKenna walks up. Smith and McKenna are going to have a drink and invite the Ensign, but she declines as she's tired and heads off to her quarters. Back on the bridge, Sulu and Kirk are discussing Chekhov pulling double shifts and the possibility that he's bucking for a promotion. Chekhov looks uncomfortable, but the discussion quickly ends as something hits the Enterprise. As Sulu runs his scans... We see that something has penetrated the primary hull and gone through several decks of the ship. Reports indicate the breach appears to be going deeper into the ship, and a concerned Kirk calls for red alert, as it appears they've been boarded. In Ensign Taylor's quarters, she's preparing to return to duty due to the emergency, when suddenly something bursts through the back wall of her quarters. 
She scrambles to the opposite side of the room, apparently terrified at what she is seeing, as the screen fades to black and the opening credits appear. The hull breaches damage power conduits, and as a result, the Enterprise engines are offline. Ensign Taylor contacts the bridge and tells Kirk that some kind of creature is in her cabin. Kirk and Spock head off the bridge, and Chekhov wants to help, but is told to remain at his station, which clearly deflates his enthusiasm. In Taylor's quarters, she tries to talk to the creature, but is frightened and throws an object at it. This causes the creature to retreat back into the bulkhead just as Kirk, Spock, and Security Officer Dickerson arrive. It's difficult to track with sensors, but eventually located in an adjacent conference room. Kirk unsuccessfully attempts to communicate with the now calm rock-like creature who is emanating a blue color from its shell, then tries to have the transporter chief beam it away, but there's nothing to lock onto. Kirk has a hunch and throws a small object at it, which causes the color to change to orange, and the giant eight-foot creature starts coming towards him. Dickerson shoots the creature with his phaser, which causes it to halt its attack and return to its non-aggressive stance, once again emanating a blue color from its hide. McCoy is now in the conference room scanning the creature, and he's not getting very far. Spock has no idea how the creature can propel itself through space or survive in its vacuum. Ensign Taylor arrives, and Kirk has her attempt to speak to it through the Universal Translator. She apologizes for throwing something at it and asks if it has a name. It replies, Uzdi. When asked why it's on the Enterprise, it then replies, Need to hurt. Kirk isn't sure if he's trying to communicate or threaten the crew, just as the Enterprise is hit by something again. Kirk makes his way up to the bridge and tells Spock to keep working at communicating with the creature. On the bridge, it's determined that pulses are hitting the Enterprise and are a form of echolocation. Suddenly, a different kind of wave is heading towards the Enterprise, which they cannot outrun or deflect. A red pulse courses through the entire ship, which seems to cause pain to everyone, especially Spock, who falls to the ground. He looks up and is enraged, ordering Dickerson for his phaser. When he hesitates, Spock attacks him and knocks him out, and then starts shooting at Uzdi, calling it disobedient and that he is in charge, not the creature, and he demands its respect. Ensign Taylor attempts to stop Spock, but he throws her against a wall. Uzdi knocks Spock out by hurling him against the wall and then retreats into the bulkhead. On the bridge, Kirk tries to get a report from Spock but gets no reply. He appears extremely frustrated at the lack of response and then asks if anyone else feels strange. All of the bridge officers agree that they feel paranoid, suspicious, afraid, and even resentful. McCoy calls Kirk to sickbay, where Dickerson and Spock are now located, and Spock is in restraints. McCoy explains that in addition to Spock's physical injuries, the energy waves are affecting him dozens of times more than the rest of the crew. Spock insists the captain put him in the brig because his primal Vulcan rage is being brought to the surface and he can't control it. Just then, another more powerful wave hits the ship. Spock breaks free from his restraint, screaming, and attacks everyone in sickbay. Kirk calls for security as Spock lashes out at him. Now in the corridor, Spock is heading in one direction just as Security Chief Drake arrives. Kirk comes into the corridor from sickbay, grabs Drake's phaser, and shoots Spock in the back. He insists Spock be put in the brig, but McCoy says he should be in sickbay, and Kirk isn't thinking straight. This makes Kirk even more angry, but he complies, after warning the doctor not to question him again. 
Tensions are high and insults abound on the bridge as Uhura, Smith, and Palmer work to restore systems. Kirk arrives, demanding to know the location of the creature. Instead, Sulu informs Kirk that the energy waves have been emanating from some kind of ship. Kirk grabs Sulu by the uniform and says that the only thing that matters is finding, quote, that delinquent little brat. Sulu tries to break free, so Kirk punches him in the face and then confines him to quarters. Kirk announces to the entire ship that the only priority is to find the intruder and authorizes all necessary force to catch it. Dr. McKenna comes barreling down the corridor, obviously disagreeing with someone recently due to the significant bruise on her chin, and bangs on a door demanding she be let in. She enters Ensign Taylor's quarters, and she is shocked to see Usti sitting in the bulkhead calmly. Taylor didn't know who else to call, and she explains that Usti seems to know what's causing the waves that are hitting the ship. Another wave then hits, and McKenna starts towards the creature, berating it. Taylor stops her, and then McKenna realizes that these waves are making it harder to act rationally. She has a theory that alpha wave inducers can block the primitive rage that the waves are creating. She just needs to get them from Dr. McCoy. Back in sickbay, McCoy's treating Spock just as McKenna comes in, and another wave hits the ship. McCoy starts yelling at McKenna for barging into his sickbay, and BAM! McKenna knocks him out cold with one punch. She looks at the nurse, Sarah, and says she needs all the mobile alpha wave inducers as a stunned Uhura and Dickerson look on. Kirk, with phaser rifle in hand, patrols the corridors with Smith and Chekhov, and they are hit by another energy wave. They then find Scotty coming out of a Jeffrey's tube, drinking. Kirk is incensed as his orders were to locate the creature. Scotty says the engines are much more important, and Kirk says that they are expendable. Scotty then goes to attack Kirk, only to be phasered in the back by Chekhov because phasering people in the back is what's happening a lot in this episode. After advising an unconscious Scotty that, quote, you're going to the brig, they continue their search. In Taylor's quarters, Taylor, Dickerson, Uhura, and McKenna all have the inducers on and are acting normally. They believe that Usti is running from the ship, sending the energy waves. Dickerson says engineering would be the best place to take Uzi as the waves are not as strong by the time they get there but they need to figure out how to get him beamed straight there and evacuate engineering. Uhura has an idea. Back in sickbay, Kirk and Smith barge in and ask Nurse Sarah if she's seen the creature. Just then, Scotty makes an announcement over the intercom that there's a coolant leak in engineering and it needs to be evacuated immediately. But Kirk knows that Scotty is in the brig, so something's up. He tells Smith to meet him in the transporter room in five minutes and they exit sickbay, heading in opposite directions. Back in Taylor's quarters, we see Dickerson speaking into the Universal Translator, repeating that there's a coolant leak. Uhura's behind him, working her magic on a console, and his message is then played over the intercom in Scotty's voice. A few moments later, in engineering, we see Taylor, Dickerson, Uhura, and Usti beam in, and they seal the doors. Back in the transporter room, Smith arrives with phaser in hand as McKenna is prepping mobile inducers with the transporter chief. Smith orders him to step away, but he hesitates, so Smith shoots him. McKenna tries to talk Smith down and offers her one of the inducers so she'll return back to normal. Just then, Kirk calls a transporter room wanting to know if it is secure, which distracts Smith. McKenna attempts to get the phaser and catfight! Both exchange blows, but McKenna gets a Kirk-like karate chop to the neck and she is down for the count. Smith advises that the transporter room is now secure. 
In engineering, Taylor talks to Usti and explains that she understands, just as Kirk, Smith, and two security officers beam in. All four aim their weapons at Usti and open fire. Usti then sends his own energy pulse out, which hits the attackers, knocking out the two red shirts straight away. Uhura and Smith start battling, as do Kirk and Dickerson. Dickerson is pinned on the ground by Kirk, and he starts strangling him. Smith gets her hands on a phaser and aims it at Usti, just as Taylor puts a mobile inducer on her arm. She instantly calms down and looks confused. Uhura does the same thing to Kirk, and he stops attacking Dickerson. As Kirk regains his senses, Chekhov calls over the intercom that the enemy vessel is approaching, or enemy wessel, but it isn't a vessel at all. It's shown on the monitor, and it's a gigantic ship-sized version of Usti. Kirk returns to the bridge where Spock has returned to duty. The creature fires off another wave of energy which does not affect those wearing the inducers, but does cause damage to the shields. Kirk attempts to communicate with it, but to no avail. The creature fires again, reducing shields to 50% and knocking phasers offline. Kirk has a hunch that the red areas of the creature's back is the origin of the waves and orders photon torpedoes to be fired. They do appear to injure the creature. Usti and Taylor are watching the events of the battle on the monitor, and Usti says that he, quote, must protect. Taylor begs him to stay and takes hold of his little rock hand, which is actually quite large. Back on the bridge, Spock indicates the creature is indeed injured, and then the creature accelerates on an intercept course, apparently to ram the Enterprise. Another torpedo barrage most likely will kill the parent life form. As Chekhov questions whether the creature is Usti's parent, Taylor enters the bridge and confirms it is in fact Usti's father. Kirk asks where Usti is, and then on the view screen we see that he has positioned himself between the Enterprise and his father. The two creatures appear to communicate, and the father's color changes from angry red to a more calming, cautious yellow. Kirk has Uhura open a channel, and he tells the creature that Usti most likely just saved his life. He doesn't know what's warranted his anger to be directed at Usti, but points out that even though Usti was scared and hiding, he still protected him. The creature offers no response of any kind, but instead moves off with a son. Kirk tells Taylor that Usti saved his father's life, but only time will tell if it made a difference. Later in the conference room, Kirk and Spock share apologies for their earlier behavior. Spock is frustrated that he could not control himself, and Kirk is frustrated that he could not persuade Usti's father with his words. He's used to having people listen to his, quote, rousing speeches and act based on his words. The creature's lack of response is troubling to him. But Spock questions if Kirk really thought he would be able to change a deeply ingrained behavior simply with his words. Kirk smiles and says he wasn't sure what to expect, but he didn't expect silence. Spock says that his discussions with Dr. McKenna has found that, quote, one is much more able to lead another down an unfamiliar path when one has already been down that path themselves. Just then, Chekhov contacts Spock and says that he's found something worth looking at. Spock looks at the computer monitor and advises Kirk that he may want to take a look. Kirk looks over Spock's shoulder at the monitor and smiles. Back in Taylor's quarters, she, McKenna, and Smith are apologizing to each other as well for what happened, and they decide to go have that drink. Kirk comes in, and Smith and McKenna depart. Kirk advises Taylor that they've traced the path of the creature to a comet cloud and are stationed near it. Kirk says that he couldn't reach Usti's father, but maybe she can. 
Setting the Universal Translator on a wide beam towards the comet cloud and opening a channel, Taylor starts talking, saying that Usti loves his father very much, but every time he lashes out in anger, that love turns more to fear. She begs him to find a way to heal himself because her father never did. She and Kirk are visibly affected when the father responds with a deep, rousing voice that simply says, Heal. Taylor agrees and says, Love and change for Uzdi. The father responds back, Change for Usti, and Kirk closes the channel. Maybe change begins when someone reaches you, Kirk tells Taylor. I'd say you've reached him. Taylor hopes so, for Usti. And the Enterprise heads away from the comet cloud towards her next adventure. Dan, that was a fantastic synopsis, sir. Thank you so much. Well done. Well, it's my pleasure. It's one of those things that you sit down and you actually look forward to doing because there were so many things in that episode which were wor- which was worth talking about. And uh, it was an honor to do it. I loved it. I don't know if it was as good as yours with White Iris, but that's all right. <laughs> well, since you love doing it so much, I volunteer you for all the synopses from here on in. Congratulations, buddy. That's my wow. That's a, that's <laughs> that's quite a torch to have to carry and light the fire. This is what happens when you miss staff meetings. Uh, oh, oh. Speaking of staff meetings, Dan, there we saw something that we haven't really seen in the original series before in this episode. Right up front, that was a shift change on the bridge. Yeah, not something you saw very often. I think we saw it in, in Next Generation a couple times, and maybe DS Nine, but never TOS. And it was uh, it was pretty cool to see, and I never really put it in my head uh of course there's a reason why he was doing it with Chekhov being on second shift but of course now that i think of it he's first shift but he was doing an extra shift maybe as second shift maybe that's what it's all about maybe trying to get some more experience maybe trying to earn some stripes as sulu said yeah you know at some point you know he's he's got to become something more than the lowly ensign but for now what 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 Chekhov yeah. looked uh, Pretty dejected, man. Oh, I was going to say, you just saw the, it's like somebody put a little pin to him and all the air just came flying out of him. That poor guy. Oh, <laughs> jeez. Poor Chekhov. Next thing you know, he's going to jump over something on a nuclear vessel and fall a bunch of, and he's going to have to have surgery. I just, poor guy. I can't see that happening. No, never. <laughs> you know, one of the other things that we saw for the first time since the original series in this episode, Dan, was the engineering set. That thing is gorgeous. It's it's amazing to see what uh, the other Bill Smith has done, and the entire team down at STC at at the studio with this. the The whole the the room is is huge. I don't know. If, did it come off as being as large on on screen in this episode as it was when we were there? I don't. It's huge. I don't know if I understand. I mean, it just it's it's towering when you're standing there. When you're actually in that set, it was towering to me. And I'm just wondering, did it come across as that large on screen to you? I, I think it especially did when they had the top down shot during oh, one of the fights. Man, it was yeah. great. I, I I so wanted either Kim uh, as a horror or Kipley as, as Barbara to be hanging on that fence like we saw Scotty do with those warp engines with the great <laughs> um, distance shot of those engines. It was 
remarkably done. It was so nice. Or like Kirk and Space Seed. <laughs> wrapping his legs around. that was great yeah it was a great it was a great set congratulations to them for for this first time that we've seen engineering since the 1960s i think it's awesome yeah you know i i think one of the things that really drives this episode is the character of eliza taylor undoubtedly i like the fact that her character seems a little more withdrawn from the other crew members mm-hmm. and i don't think i caught that necessarily the first time through I think it fits, especially when you get to the big reveal at the end of the episode, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yes. But this is something that informs her character all the time. And it's, you know, we always see, you know, the crew, the enterprise is the best and the brightest. And here's somebody that kind of likes to keep to themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's not something we see very often. No, it's not. I actually did catch that the first time when we were wa- when I was watching it, and it was the very first scene with her. Uh, pretty much when they get off the turbo lift, and everybody's going to go have a drink, and she's kind of skittish and is like, "No, I'm going to go hang by myself." And like you said, you don't really understand why that is until the end at the reveal with what's going on, and it fits in perfectly that she's continuing to have these demons, as as it turns out, as we find out, her performance. The more I've seen it, the more amazed I am at the performance. When I when I watched it the first time, I got to say, I'm, I'm watching Gigi and I'm like, she seems to be very skittish. She seems to be very – weepy is not the word, but it's like she's always on edge of breaking down throughout the episode. And I was wondering if that was making me a little negative towards her character. But the more I've watched it, the more powerful that performance became for me. It didn't. I didn't view it personally myself as negative, and that's probably because of my own experiences. I feel like I understood it a, a bit too well, um, and we'll talk about that a little later on. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think that this is one of those episodes that will resonate with people incredibly differently, yes. as it's resonated differently for you and I. We both, you know, got a lot out of watching it, and I suspect we got very different things. Yes, I agree, and we will definitely want to get into those details later. I don't want to make it sound like I thought her performance was bad. I don't mean that in any any way at all. The first time I saw it, I had the very same thought of something what you just said. This just doesn't just she doesn't look like a she doesn't hold herself like a Starfleet officer that we're used to seeing. Right. But later on, towards the end of the episode, you found out why, and it made perfect sense that she was the way she was, and it made her performance that much stronger. I have to tell you, the end of the prologue before the credits was just absolutely terrifying. When she's cowering? The whole thing. From the moment the wall blew apart and you could hear the intruder, Mm -hmm. that coupled with Gigi's reaction, you know, as the camera focuses in on her, she's, you know, crawling, you know, crawling back as fast as she can. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely chilling. And I have to say, it was a wonderful sequence. I haven't, I haven't gotten those kind of goosebumps from Star Trek in a long time. Right. The one thing that I liked about, well, there are many things I liked about that scene. You could hear the shaking in her voice as she was breathing, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm bringing that across correctly, but she was making those kind of like scared noises as she was backing up. Yeah. But the other thing that has I have loved each time I've watched it, because I've watched it close to 10 times now already, is you can see the color of Usti changing on the wall as she's backing up against it. Yeah. I thought that was a very, very nice, subtle thing that they threw into it. Kudos to to uh, um, the director, uh, Mr. Higgins. He was it was brilliant. 
Um, I have to say that the creature costume itself is absolutely breathtaking and stunning. And I'm so glad that this is a practical thing and a physical thing Mm -hmm. and not CGI because I think it changes the landscape of this episode entirely. Absolutely. I agree 100%. It was great to see a physical creature. And I'm going to point out one creature that we've seen in two different scenarios as a way that it perfectly works here in this episode of Star Trek Continues. The Gorn in Arena. Great physical character that I have always remembered since the first time I saw that episode. Flash forward to 10 or 12 years ago as Enterprise was wrapping up and they had a CGI Gorn. Did nothing for me. No. I didn't think that the CGI version of the Gorn was, it, it just looked wrong. And you could tell that Scott was punching nothing when he was having the fight with it, when he was on the ground with yeah. him. Having this physical creature, which was just an unbelievable um, creation by Mr. Dykstra. It was great to have that on. I would have loved to have seen that when we were down there, have him on set the days that we were there. That would have been cool. In a way, I'm almost kind of glad we didn't see it. You know, because we got to, like everybody else who saw the episode, we got to see it in the context of the story. For the first time. Yeah. For the first time. And I think that that made it even more incredible. You know, I, yeah, definitely. You know, the, the behind the scenes part would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like that as a fan that we didn't get to see that, that that part was still behind the curtain, as it were, because it made this episode that much more amazing to me. It's amazing to me also how how the thought process of creating a creature like this even comes into play. I'm definitely not an artist and I'm not a writer or anything like that, but man, to to the whole idea of having, you know, emotion emanations and colors associated with whatever emotion they're feeling. It was like a moon monster. <laughs> <laughs> well, but keep in mind too that Greg Dykstra, I mean, has been with Pixar a very yes. long time and been involved with I uh, I don't know, you name a Pixar movie, I'm sure he's been part of it over the last yeah. 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, this creature was his creation and it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. Totally off topic, but related to the creature. We yeah. were just talking about it a few minutes ago. I love the fact that at the at the premiere at Megacon this past weekend in Orlando, the creature was at the booth. That was so cool. That was just amazing to see the pictures that were posted. You know, I, I can't wait to, to find out more about the making of this creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just... I, I Every time I watch this episode, I'm just in awe of this creation and how well... Not only it looks on screen, but how it relates to the story. You know, the color emanations, like you mentioned. You know, how how it's a form of communication all on its own. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it hit on every level. But I have to say that even with all that, what an amazing job done by the crew on this episode. Everybody from lighting to camera to makeup to costumes and everything in between. You know, this episode looks incredible. And it is a credit to every single person that works on it, not just the people on stage. But yep. this this thing fires on all cylinders. It, this is proof that they are so well connected with each other, both behind the camera and in front of it. They do everything they can to make it work. And it works at a level that I don't think we've seen 
from an episode standpoint and how everything just, there's a lot in this episode, a lot of different factors of what you were just talking about. The lighting, there's a lot of stunt work involved in this, a lot of fight sequences, uh, a lot of different camera angles that we're not used to seeing. It just came off so amazing. It is, it is one of the most action packed episodes of Star Trek in in a while, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's it's easily the most action packed episode of continues without a doubt. Yes. Um, I think it's it's funny. I, I don't know if we'll if we'll if we'll get this in in uh, response to the episode, but I'm sure that there will be some people that may think you know it's no secret that we love Star Trek Continues to death, and you got to wonder you know the guys you know Bill and Dan just saying this because they're STC fanboys. No, this is this episode. If you want to see how an episode of television should be done, when you're looking at all the different facets, this is a great example of that. It it truly is. You know, I have to say there are two lines in the early parts of this episode that I absolutely laughed at both times in the midst of all this tension. The first one is the transporter chief. You know, when Kirk... You know, I was talking to him on the communicator. And he's like, hey, do you know anything about intraship beaming? And the guy goes, yeah, I'm a bit of an expert. <laughs> yeah. uh, a little tongue in cheek. And that was good. I, I thought, know what the next one is. I thought it was hilarious because, you know, they didn't really do intraship beaming before Day of the Dove. And this guy's like, I got this. Come on, man. <laughs> so the second one I know is your favorite line. And it's McCoy's first line in the episode. Yeah. And he goes. It's a rock. <laughs> oh, you got to say like McCoy. Go Come ahead. on. Well, you're the you're the impersonator on this show. Go ahead. What do you think, Bones? It's a rock. This <laughs> <laughs> is great. The look on his face. <laughs> it was it was classic McCoy. It was classic Kirk too, because Kirk's like seriously, seriously. There, was, there was so many great humorous points of this episode that needed to be in there to balance off the seriousness of the episode. Well, and I think that that's why this episode kind of hits another level in a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Because Star Trek has always had that humor and it's not always done the humor effectively. Right. But in this script, because they're not, you know, overt outward in your face jokes. Mm -hmm. I think that the humor is very well placed in this episode. Very well placed. Some of it's very subtle. The little look on on um, on uh, Kip. I always call him by the by the actress's name by Ensign uh, Smith. Ensign Smith. Yeah, she. Yeah, my vodka martini's calling me. The little quirk of her head when she's saying that you wouldn't have heard that talked about in the '60s episodes. I thought it was great. I like the fact that she drinks vodka martinis because <laughs> I instantly thought of James Bond. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I, uh, one of the. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say one of the other parts that I thought was great, the, the humor on the line from Kirk is one thing, but when Scotty's crawling out of the Jeffrey's tube, obviously a little sauced, and he's got his little little thing of scotch he's drinking. His hair's out of place. You see it like a little tuft off to the side, like he was napping in the Jeffrey's tube or something like that. And he was all until Kirk made the comment that the engines were expendable. Oh, that was not a smart thing to say. No, no. He may as well have called the Enterprise a garbage scout at that point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, for me, one of the funniest lines, in addition to the It's a Rock, was Kirk impersonating Scotty in his Scottish brogue. You're going to the brig. That was magnificent. It was. <laughs> it was because the only other time Kirk imitates Scotty, it was, you're right. 
in the motion picture. <laughs> and it wasn't that great. It wasn't very good, no. no. Um, Kirk's decision to let Ensign Taylor talk to the creature first, I think, is a good one. And I think it says a lot about Kirk at this phase of the five-year mission. Mm-hmm. He made the right choice for that first contact and didn't do it just because, well, I'm the captain of the Enterprise. I speak for the ship. I thought it was informed, and I think it shows his maturity as a commander. I agree. I thought it was um, a perfect example that he's thinking about the entire crew and not just himself and what he can accomplish. Yeah, it was very well done. And and not for a huge reason at the time. He's just like, well, hey, you, you're the first person that it saw, so let's see if you can get something out of it. I thought it was great. Oh, I did too. I think that, you know, I, I got absolute chills after the first anger wave, because that's what I'm calling it, hit the Enterprise and Spock began to display not just emotion, but outright rage. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point I got the sense of what this episode was about. And Todd, I, I cannot say enough about his performance in this episode, right down to the see what you made me do. Because at that point, it is as plain as the nose on your face that this is about abuse. Yes. And what got me in that scene is not only that, the we saw the screen capture of that scene earlier a couple months ago as they were putting out little snippets on, on Facebook. But the look on his face as he's firing the phaser on the, in the picture was chilling. But when we actually saw it happening, it was tenfold. And then the 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 reaction of him in sickbay when the next wave hit and he knew it was coming and he was trying to hold it back as much as he could and had no chance of holding back. That was wow. Well, here's what I want to know. Why is it that we never listen to Spock when he says, yo, dude, lock me away. Everyone else goes, no, we're fine. No, really. No, Spock, you're good. Come on. Do, why do we never listen to the emotional Vulcan? Be- oh, because that's not logical. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like he's way. It's, he may as well have the robot arms from Lost in Space going danger. Will Robinson danger? <laughs> it, I, I find it equally as as puzzling because even McCoy was explaining exactly what was going on and that it was affecting him ten times. What do you say? Ten or ten or a dozen times more than than the humans were being affected by it. Why did, okay, restraints aren't going to work. And then f- to say put him in double restraints later, that was very curious to me as well. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure what that involved. I assume they just throw him in the brig. Yeah. If they need, really need to restrain him more. You know, McCoy's always got a stimulant or a sedative around. Mm-hmm. Why not just fire up one of those? Right. I will say that Spock being unhinged. That utter lack of control is unlike anything we've seen in the original series. Yeah, we saw Spock go crazy a couple of times, but it was nothing like what Spock exhibits in this episode. And it was a nice separation in displaying that this just wasn't another time where Spock gets emotional. He truly was unhinged. He was. And the other thing I liked about that when he did get unhinged was the camera work. We saw that a little bit, I think, in the Medusan episode of the original series. We had that kind of fishbowl lens mm-hmm. kind of look when he was when he was going crazy in sickbay. If I remember correctly, there was one very quick image of him with that type of of camera angle. If I'm if I remember correctly, I might be thinking of Kirk in the engine room, but I know it happened at least once. Hey, you're the one who's seen it 10 times. Yeah, I'll have to watch it a little bit. <laughs> you know, I like that. Also, like that the crew knows that they're feeling something different. 
mm-hmm. but they don't know how to explain it. And each of or- them is really experiencing something a little different, whether it's fear or resentment or suspicion. I liked that everybody was affected by this. Everybody was affected by it. And yet, even though they knew they were being affected, they could not control it. Yeah. That was interesting as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, everybody got to display a little something different, which I thought was really great. Everybody had some good character moments, like Uhura's, you think? <laughs> you know, and I even did the head movement just like that. Or um, uh, or McKenna, man, she oh. is an angry drunk. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. She wasn't drunk. But, you know, she's beating on the door yeah. of Taylor's, you know, cabin. Like, hey, it's McKenna. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> damn. Yep. <laughs> and she's already, it looks like she's been in a little tussle anyway, admittedly. I would hate to see the other person, man. Whoa, unreal. Because I'm sure that, that she won. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you think? I wonder if that'll come out later in an episode who it was. That'd be kind of neat. I, I think it would be great. That'd be very cool. little backstory. I like the fact that Usti keeps coming back to Taylor because it sets us up for the end of the episode. And the first time I watched it, I I didn't necessarily think that that mattered in the end, but come to find out it does. Um, I, I like that aspect very much. I think it's interesting uh, that it's written in a way that he's a complete alien. Uh, humans are alien to him. We're alien to it and vice versa. But yet he knew something was going on with her and attached to her. Right away. I mean, yeah. he could have come out. I mean, what, I mean what, what kind of episode would have been if it had come through, I don't know, Chekhov's quarters or Sulu's right. quarters? It would have been a completely different episode. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was very interesting. There was that instant bond. I agree. I, I also have to like the substantive parts of the plot that are driven by the women characters in this episode. Because they all have huge contributions to this story, whether it's Uhura or whether it's McKenna or whether it's Taylor or whether it's Smith. Each one of them has a significant chunk to contribute in the overall arc of this episode. Especially take, for example, McKenna coming up with the alpha wave inducer plan. That's brilliant. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a great thing for her character to have to do. I think it has been an, a long time coming to see all of the women of the TOS genre episodes uh, of Star Trek to have such important roles. The only thing that saddened me a little bit is we really didn't get to see Kat's character do something to contribute in this episode as much as we saw, saw the other female episodes or characters rather, but that's okay because I mean, can't have, we'd have a two hour episode. Um, <laughs> right. But, right. But, you know, she got a nice dressing down by Ahura, and you just saw her kind of like, mm-hmm. but uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It's been a long time coming for all of the all of the women to have such strong parts in the episode. And it all was done in a way that it totally made sense and it totally worked. So McKenna strolls into sickbay <laughs> and absolutely just decks McCoy. And the reaction shot from the other people in sickbay is thoroughly priceless. It is. But I will say the way that Chuck did that whole scene was amazing. He he lived that up every single bit that he could, and it was done 
perfectly. There's a lot of there are a lot of fights in this episode because of the anger that gets stirred up by um by the anger or the emotion wave, whatever you want to call it. But I love that there's a fight between McKenna and Smith, especially after they were palling around at the beginning of the episode. The yes. scene before the fight is great too, but you know, they they get into it and you know, this isn't just it's not like, you know, mirror mirror where you know, Uhura and Marlena Moreau are, you know, kind of tussling, and Uhura mm. picks up a phaser, and it's over in about two seconds. Right. <laughs> Done. <laughs> right, right. Done. That's that's the sum of the fight. But yeah. this actually is far more substantive. Yeah, and it was – I did like the – I did – you mentioned it. At the very beginning of before that fight, McKenna just about gets through to her, and Kirk blows it by interrupting the discussion. <laughs> Way to go, Kirk. Yep. I also thought that the fight between Uhura and Smith was very, very well done. I yeah. thought that was good. In the engine room, you had a lot. And I would not want to get those girls pissed off at me ever. <laughs> Especially not when there's a phaser rifle potentially within reach. <laughs> phaser rifle. Oh, my God, man. Was that unbelievable or what? I loved seeing the phaser rifle. I thought it looked beautiful on screen. Oh, my God. When was the last time we saw that? Was that where no man has gone before? Uh, no, uh, Gar- the Gary episode. Um, yeah, yeah, where yeah. no one's gone before. Is that the last time before. we saw the phaser rifle? I can't remember seeing it since then. Man, not it in was TOS. Beautiful. It was beautiful. I uh, I thought it was uh, it was really cool to see, and then Kirk's got it in his hands. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the um. One of the things I liked was when Usti finally displaced a, a wave of his own. Mm-hmm. And that tells us a great deal about what's hitting the Enterprise. It's something yes. very like Usti. In a humorous comment, I did find it funny that when he sent out his own energy wave, that the two red shirts that were with uh, Kirk were knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least they weren't. They didn't die on the spot, as far as we know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was. It was good to. It, it, it's just there's so many excellent points of this episode. Subtle things. You know, I think the realization that the second creature was Usti's father, it it caused me to well up with tears because you realize that the child enduring abuse, you know, left the Enterprise to protect it knowing what it would have to endure. And I think some of that has to do with, you know, my own story of going through about 15 years of, of mental and emotional abuse in my childhood, certainly nothing ever physical, but I was at this point that I really had a hard time watching the episode because I think it, it hit me a little too squarely right in the face. Uh, I think that's safe to say you and I had discussions um, after we had, each seen it once. And I definitely got that impression with me knowing what um, you've talked to me about in the past. I found it very interesting that Usti placed himself in front of the enterprise and his father. It could go both ways. And it's kind of hard to determine is he placing himself in front of his father to protect the people that are protecting him or to protect his father from what, could happen if Kirk decides to fire upon. You're going to have it from both sides. People might think one way or the other. And I thought that that was a great 
debate moment of the episode. I think I think it's for me personally, from my perspective, it's it's a little column A and a little column B, even if they only intended it to be one way or the other. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I can think of times in my own childhood where I absolutely defended my father. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can think of other times where, you know. I would have stepped in front of anyone going through something similar. So I have a feeling that for me, from my perspective, the way I watched it, I saw it as a little of both. I can definitely understand that. And I I agree. The other thing in regards to it, it's, it's backtracking a little bit, but as you were talking, it popped into my mind. So I'll bring it up. Usti and what happened with him kind of reminded me a little bit about the Horda. Where we weren't really sure what his intention was when they first were talking to it and it said its name. And then she asked, why are you here? And it said, need to hurt. And they didn't know if it was, he needs to hurt us or if he's trying to hurt somebody else, you know, that, and that's how I took it. After seeing the episode, he wanted to hurt his father by running away or something along those lines. But it instantly made me think of the no kill eye part of the Horta episode. Interesting. I, to be honest, I didn't make that tie, but that I totally get why you did. In hindsight, I see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, Usti in this episode saves his father's life. Definitely. And there's no two ways about it. And that struck me as being probably what an abused child would feel compelled to do. How many times have we seen it in abusive relationships? It doesn't matter the amount of abuse. There's always that want to protect. Um, Whether it's misguided or not, it's there. It's real. And it was very well done in this episode that he put himself in harm's way to make sure that nothing happened to his father. Well, you know, there was the danger that it could come off totally after school special like. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of a you see Timmy kind of thing. And I yeah. think it avoided that. I don't think that it was heavy handed. I thought it was played very well in the writing of the script. Mm-hmm. And the scene I thought worked tremendously. The scene worked great. And I also want to um, give huge kudos again to Mr. Doug Drexler for his exterior shots. And this is one of those. Though Every time we see the Enterprise on this show. It is just so beautiful. And I'm not sure I could be I could be mistaken when I say this, if he was involved in the comet uh effect when the Enterprise was in front of the comet oh, or that comet was- or somebody else did that. That was that's poster material right there, man. That's a, that comet cloud scene was just it was breathtaking. It was oh, gorgeous. It was so great. And that they should make that a wallpaper because it's it's something that I would put on my desktop all the time uh, and keep it on there all the time. Oh yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was really good. I have to say, I like the scene between Kirk and Spock in the briefing room, and I thought it was it was the perfect example of their friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're talking about it, and you get the sense that these two men are are the best of friends. They're very close friends, and you know, I I wasn't taken out of the moment at all, like you see in some other fan productions. I um, Kirk has lines about being able to persuade with words. And I thought that that section was, was really interesting. I mean, he's relied on that ability for years. Mm-hmm. And I thought that this was such a great moment for Kirk to realize that what he's done before may not always work. He can't always be the, 
the hero or use the you know the Kirk word foo to to get out of a situation. I thought it taught him a great lesson, which is not something that always happens for Kirk. I agree. It's funny that we always hear now because of all of the different shows that have been on. Picard has always been the diplomat. Kirk is the one that goes out and fires phasers and then asks questions. But yet this scene shows that he has been the diplomat because he's always thought that he could give a rousing speech and solve a problem. Yeah, He's just as much a diplomat in a lot of aspects as Captain Picard was, I think. I think so too. this, This shows that. The other thing that I found very interesting about that scene is... In in terms of the friendship that you brought, Spock is not afraid to talk about his what could be deemed emotional frustrations that he had being unable to control his emotions. That's not something that he would admit out in the open to anybody else, that he was feeling something like that. Well, no, I agree with you entirely. And I thought that his revelation about the unfamiliar path, as it were, mm-hmm. set up the revelation about Taylor extremely well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the most meaningful revelation in the episode, the one about her own abuse yes. growing up. You know, this is something that, you know, we anticipate is gone by the 23rd century. Nope. You know, absolutely it's- not. I did find it very interesting and I liked the reaction that in that discussion, Spock discussed openly with Kirk that he has been talking to Dr. McKenna talking to the ship's counselor, which they talked about in a couple episodes ago that maybe they should talk more. And he was willing to discuss that. And the reaction of Kirk when he said that I thought was very interesting. He had the raised eyebrow and the smile. Like you've been talking to Dr. McKenna. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I thought that this is a very well-rounded and mature episode for Kirk as a character. Because even at the end, he gives Taylor the opportunity to actually get closure, which is something that a lot of children of abuse don't ever get. Mm -hmm. And he lets lets her take care of everything. He does. And he lets her uh, essentially tell Usti's father that, you know, it's, uh, there's a time to change and it's now. And I think at that point, I, I probably couldn't stop crying the first time I watched the episode because it bothered me that much. It didn't, of course we have different, different paths and different paths. It didn't bother me, but it was very emotional to me because of the acting involved in that scene. It was pure, pure acting. I mean, uh, I, I believe that Michelle mentions it is, is she was so into being, Ensign Taylor for this episode, her, you can't even, you can't tell that it's acting. It's done so well. And this last scene with her, when she's talking to nobody, basically, she's just talking into a speaker and hoping that she gets a reaction. The, the emotion and the passion in her voice speaks volumes. I agree. It's interesting because, you know, Usti's father at one point says heal. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was a great message, not only for Taylor, but for everybody. Yep. You know, uh, what was the other line that, that change, 
change for Usti? Uh, well, maybe change begins when someone reaches you. Yes. And that's a line I've thought a lot about. And I think that there's a lot of real world truth to that line. Mm-hmm. And it's one that keeps coming into my mind as I've thought not only, you know, not only about the episode, but as of my own experience. And I think there's, you know, as simple as it is, I think that it says quite a great deal. You know, you just made me think of something and, and I'd like to get your opinion on it. When Usti's father said heal, and by the way, I loved the reaction of Kirk as well as Ensign Taylor when that came over the speakers. Was he saying heal as in heal heal or was he hoping that she will heal as well? I I think the latter. Um because if Usti could be drawn to her because of her shared experience, I, I assume that he feels some part of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, awesome. he's got, Amazing. he has all the reason in the world to heal, but he's not the one hurting. Right. That's, that's my that, perspective. That's an interesting take on it. Yeah, very much so. Well, thanks, Dan. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, everybody in this episode turns in a fantastic performance, but I have to say, Gigi Edgeley puts the entire episode on her back and carries the end scene. It's vulnerable and emotional and strong, and she is truly phenomenal. She is phenomenal, and this was her episode episode in my mind, but I sure as hell would love to see her at least one more time, even if it's just yeah. in a little part. It would be great to see her. Obviously, we don't see her later after the motion picture and all the movies come out. She's not in any of them that we know of. Right. But it sure would be great to have her reprise that, even if it's just for a small scene. Well, Dan, speaking of reprising roles, we have a return guest to the podcast this week, our first ever guest coming up in the next segment. Do you want to tell everyone who it is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she is th- the one who we do not want to get pissed off at, at us. And that is Michelle Speck. She was our first guest. You know, we were wet behind the ears when we first started the podcast and she came on and she, it was just so great to have her. We were both giddy and excited and nervous and to have her back on to talk about this episode, which had such a strong performance from her was just, you know, icing on the cake. And uh, we hope that you enjoy the discussion that we have with Michelle Speck because, you know, She's pretty boring, I guess is a pretty good way to put it, isn't she, Bill? <laughs> it's so hard just to get her talking. I mean, I wish I wish she'd come out of that shell a little. All I know is that if anything ever happens with a podcast or anything, it's going to be my fault anyway. So we might as well let her tell everybody that, too. Speaking of Michelle, you know that she holds a very special place in our hearts. She was the first ever guest on the Trek Geeks podcast. Uh, she has done such a memorable job portraying Dr. Elise McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Uh, and most recently in episode six, she pretty much uh, has shown that she is the Rocky Balboa of Starfleet or the Joey Palooka of the United Federation of Planets, uh, the Mike Tyson of the USS Enterprise, so to speak. Uh, she's the amazing and talented Michelle Speck, and she is back on the Trek Geeks podcast to talk about uh, Come Not Between the Dragons. Michelle, what's up? Hey, guys. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'm so glad to be back with you. 
I am very, very glad to be back, especially talking about this amazing episode, because I think it's pretty dang cool. It's long overdue. We should have had you back ages ago, and it's mostly Dan's fault. It's everything's Dan's fault. It is. It really is. Wow. You didn't even tell her to say that. No. No, you don't have to. I automatically, I attribute everything. If my my tire gets flat, I'm like, Dan! (laughs) Dan! (laughs) They're out of my favorite flavor at the smoothie store. Dan! Dan! Everything's your fault. Wow. All right. So, Bill, it's all you. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) You know I love you. You know I love you both. Well, we love you, too. We are really happy that you're here. Um, Coming up between the dragons. Wow. Yeah, right? Awesomeness. But before we get into that, I do – actually, I have two bones to pick with you. One, because you were just saying that everything's my fault. But that being (laughs) aside, I have to say that – as you may know, Bill and I had the pleasure of being down in Kingsland last November as yes. this episode was actually being filmed. And I was, yes. like, I was like a kid in a candy store, happiest nerd on earth, and then found out that you weren't going to be there when we were. How dare you, Dan? How, how dare you? Specifically <laughs> planned your trip for the days I wasn't on set. I know it was your idea. Bill's just standing there smiling, nodding his head. Wow. There are days where it benefits me to be Switzerland in all this. <laughs> Honestly, and Dan, if you don't know it by now, I'm taking Michelle's side on everything. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, we are really sad that we missed getting to see you down there and hang out with you, but um, seeing your performance in this episode was was great I, you stole the show it was no, hysterical. no there is so much amazing female kick buttery oh there is in this, is that does that make sense kick oh, buttery? Yeah. i yeah. can oh, say yeah. that you can say kick ass that's this fine episode she, i can say kick ass awesome yeah. there was so much female kick assery in this episode yes i can't I like everybody uhura amazing <laughs> yep. amazing kipley hello oh, yeah. wow yeah how is she with that huge um <laughs> with the with the oh the oh my gosh help what's the wrong phaser rifle oh, no. yes the phaser rifle jiminy cricket was that not the coolest <laughs> thing awesome. ever is that yeah, the first time awesome. that that's been on since like yes. season one yeah. yes wow that's yes great. yeah that is an incredible incredibly beautiful piece so uh i think the story was uh, the creature we haven't had a creature episode yes oh. and you know what i cannot wait for you guys i cannot wait for you guys to see the making of usti and the entire story about it his the idea of where he came to be the development of where he came from, our amazing friend and uh, co-creator, uh, like uh, coordinator for this episode, Greg Dykstra, mm-hmm. who's a um, lead creature designer at Pixar, um, yeah. came up with this idea and developed Usti. Uh, and wait till you see the behind the scenes video that he and Vic have made and kind of shown you show you how he came to be. It's incredible. And it will be even probably a thousand times more touching to hear him oh, wow. talk about Usti oh, and where wow. this whole story and where that character came from. Speaking of Usti, does that name have significance that we are not aware of yet? Yes. Okay. And you will see that in the behind the scenes video. It's, okay. um, it is a chair. I'll just say this. It's a, it's a Cherokee name. Oh, okay. okay. It's a word in the Cherokee language. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay. That was something that I was curious. I'm like, oh, that's got to be an acronym for something. But oh, I can't wait to see it now. That's great. Yeah, it's really cool. Me? So, yes. Yes, Me. we all Bill, your turn. It's a you- great episode. There's creatures in it. Everyone's amazing. And Thank you. Good night. No. no. <laughs> if, you know, everyone is amazing. And I think you brought up probably one of my favorite aspects of this episode were the very strong performances by the women in the cast. 
you know, this probably stands apart from a lot of the other original series episodes because, you know, the women are primarily caregivers in the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the role that they've played. But in this one, you know, McKenna comes up with the alpha wave inducer solution and then, you know, Uhura helps, you know, get everybody out of engineering and uh, Taylor, you know, has this this pivotal role in in, you know, getting Usti to feel safe. Um that must have been incredibly rewarding just reading the script the first time through. Yeah, very, very exciting. And you're right to to talk about there was a very specific um, role kind of uh, given to women in the original series, even though Roddenberry's uh, vision for what that future would look like was all very um, was very much all inclusive uh, and very much promotional of gender equality. It was made a, it, it's a the cultural um, product of its time. Uh, so you will see some kind of gender identification and gender roles in TOS that don't necessarily reflect where we are today. Sure. We are a little bit further along. So I, I think that it's neat that we are bringing back all the amazing look and feel and style and story approach that was indicative to TOS. And yet in this story, we can be a little bit more of a cultural reflection of where we are now in, in reproducing this. Um so that was very, very satisfying, of course. Yeah, very much so. A lot of fun. Just right there on par with everybody. Every, you know, everyone was fair game. <laughs> they really were. What? Yeah. And how great did was Chuck Huber, was McCoy, in taking that punch? <laughs> that was great. He was, was a pro. Was, he was a pro. Did he not sell that punch? Every last bit like, of it. Like, that was a million dollar. That was a million dollar flop he did. That was amazing. It was amazing. And that after was... you had to stop the take because afterwards we were laughing so hard because it was such a great, not every take was like that. You know, he did it a number of different ways, but that one especially was so priceless. Beautiful. That's where I tongue in cheek said that you stole the show because that was so unexpected. The way that that all happened. <laughs> did you hit him at, at any time during any of the takes? Did you accidentally clip him? <laughs> No, I was very careful. I was very, very careful. Although I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm up for punching anybody. In any- <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Why not, Dan? I- you're first on my list. But, um, oh my <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, we have, you know, we have an incredible um, uh, stunt team that really helps kind of coordinate mm-hmm. all of that and kind of make sure we do it um, properly and and safely and. Um, so that was a lot of fun to kind of rehearse and learn how to do, uh, effectively. I think that one of my favorite parts right after that was the reaction of the other people in sick bay. You know, here you are, you've just totally decked McCoy and you're like, Hey, give me them alpha wave inducers now, all of them. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. like deer caught in the headlights. It was beautiful. I actually laughed out loud. It was such a great moment and such a serious, you know, part of the episode. It was really good at breaking that tension. Right. Yeah, it is. Cause it's a pretty, um, you know, this like in true Trek form, um, it's not all light and fairy dust, you know, because right, right. that's not life and that's not the subject matter of this story. Um, it deals with something very real and very, right. very uh, personal for both um, the folks who wrote it and for um, a lot of people who are watching it. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was it's a it's, pretty big time issue. But we tried to deal that- with it responsibly and and um, and um, compassionately. It's it's interesting that you say that, Michelle. For me, Star Trek's always been one of the shows that <clears throat> takes the difficult issues of the day, 
to drive home a specific meaning. For example, the one that always comes to mind from the original series is let that be your last battlefield when dealing with segregation and racism. It seems to me though, that this episode of Star Trek continues tackles what may be the most emotionally charged and to some people, the most personal topic in Trek's 50 year history. Um, Mm. My question would be for those people who have been victims of parental abuse, both physical and mental, do you think that this may be too sensitive a topic and what type of feedback have you received in regards to that? We've received amazing feedback from people that it um, touched in a very, very, very personal way. Mm -hmm. Um, And is it a too, too, too sensitive a topic? I think it all has to do with how you deal with it, how it's presented and Mm -hmm. how it's treated. Um, I don't think Star Trek shied away from much when in the original series, they actually went for many things that they could not, obviously it was, it was the way that it was presented. They could never have openly had, like you were talking about an episode dealing directly with uh, segregation and Mm -hmm. discrimination during the sixties at that time. So you set it in space and you give these aliens the voice for human beings that might not be able to say that so openly and, or might be a little too painful or too difficult, um, but you present it uh, responsibly and, like I said, compassionately. I don't think there is any subject that wouldn't be uh, fair game. And uh, it, it has obviously struck a chord because we've mm-hmm. received such beautiful letters and notes from people um, that were sincerely touched. Um, from both sides of that, uh, that situation. Oh, oh wow. And wow. that, um, if we can get notes from both sides of that situation, that it touched them, um, right. and t- touching on kind of, uh, guilt and shame mm-hmm. uh, from both sides of that position, I think that is an incredibly successful, um, endeavor. You know, speaking as somebody who has that sort of, of history of, of abuse in my childhood, and this is not something I, I talk about a great deal, I, I feel somewhat compelled to talk about it in examining this episode because it's impossible for me to to extricate myself as a viewer from the subject matter without realizing how much it touches me personally. And I have to say I I do love this episode very much, but I don't know that it's one that I can watch again for a while because of the way mm-hmm. it affected me quite viscerally. I um that's why I had an email conversation with Vic before after we made our visit to uh to set, you know, because the Enterprise was was my you know, my safe place when I was a boy, you know, I went through a lot of mental and emotional abuse. It was never anything physical, but, you know, certainly just as scarring. And in those moments, you know, the enterprise was my solace, you know, walking those corridors, there was a tangible essence to being there because it, it was safety, it was security. And it was something that I loved with all my heart. And then finding out what the episode was about, it gave me time to digest it. And then seeing it now, it's like I have to sort of take these two things that were, you know, exclusive of one another and then put them together and examine it. And it's it, it was it was a very emotional episode for me to watch. And I, I thought it was it was masterfully done. Especially when you get to the end when you realize that that Taylor has this this history in in her life. And you know, we assume that in the twenty third century these things have gone away. But she has that experience and I, I felt that, that Gigi mastered that scene perfectly and I felt something of myself in those scenes, if that makes sense. 
Absolutely. I think Gigi will be very, very happy to hear that. Um, you know that I don't want to say uh, it was the easiest thing for um, her to detach herself from that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it was um, it that was a lot of work for her, uh, and she really approached it with all seriousness and respect. So, and anyone who was on set with her can tell you, especially before some of those more difficult scenes, um, she was there. I mean, this was not this yeah. was not something she was playing or pretending mm-hmm. she was in it and she was coming from an incredibly very uh, incredibly real and raw place um which i mean is just testament to to her abilities as an actor and i think um i really do feel like it, uh it was so i'm so glad that we found Gigi to mm. do this yeah. because there's um a real strength and a frailty to her just in who she is as a person uh, which I think was uh, beautifully matched for what was necessary to 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 uh, bring that character to life in this kind of situation. I think that one of the things that spoke to me the most was Taylor's sense of vulnerability toward the end. You know, you have to be strong because you're a Starfleet officer and you're the best of the best. And here this creature has sought you out because you have this common bond and you don't know it at the time, but Usti knows it. And there's that yeah. bonding there. And I, I thought that there was a, a not only the fragility you speak of, but this really amazing vulnerability that, that I know in my heart because I felt that vulnerability. And I, I thought that it, she definitely was in the moment. And it, you could definitely tell it wasn't just paying lip service to that kind of feeling. She actually you know, understood it. And that, to me, as, a, uh, as somebody who's experienced that in my life, it, it spoke volumes to me and it meant the world. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think um, vulnerability is actually a more appropriate word than fragility. I think that I think you hit it uh, right there, Bill. It is she was incredibly vulnerable. And you see the strength in her when she makes a very real place, a very real request of Usti's father at the end. Yeah. Um, A very compassionate one. Uh, as someone who was the recipient of um, violence and of, of, of abuse, mm-hmm. saying, I know that you're not a monster, but every time you lash out at your son, you are less the father he loves and more the monster he fears. Right, right. I, that to me was like the, by far the most powerful moment. And you hear it echoing out into space into that comet field. You yes. hear her sweet voice mm-hmm. and that plea echoing out into that um, comet field. I just thought was such, I mean, ah, such a beautiful moment. And I mean, this is, I just am so proud of being part of the show because <laughs> I feel like we do such, we just are so desirous of doing um, respect and honor to the Star Trek tradition. And I feel like this episode is another beautiful example of that. I'm just so proud. I'm so proud to be a small part of it. Yeah. I think it's I think it's one of the top examples of how Star Trek has always tackled those issues and brought them to the forefront. Um, right. It was masterfully done. I will say also that that scene was probably my favorite. The one that really got me also, I thought, was in engineering when Gigi was talking to Usti and she had realized what the connection was. Right. I thought that that was very it was very subtle, but at the same time, it was very powerful. And when she grabbed his little rock hand. I know <laughs> that shot of pulling away when they're yeah. standing in engineering yeah. yes. and little Gigi next to this thing that we thought was a monster, this yes. eight and a half foot, six foot wide rock mm-hmm. creature that we thought was a monster and is just 
a little boy. Yeah. Ah! Yep. Yep. Like that, I, it just kills me. It's just, there's so much beauty. I have there's to say, so much beauty in the human condition. I have to say and that that's what Star Trek shows us. That scene was beautiful from start to finish. Everything from the lighting to the cinematography and Julian's direction in that scene, the way it looked was spot on. Because Dan, I had that same exact feeling. It was just like wow. Yeah. Yeah, it really was something. The other thing that I thought was brilliant about about the episode, I'm not sure if it's to um, the writers or if it's to Julian's direction or just an idea of everybody, was the mood colors of Usti and his father. I thought that was brilliant, and I didn't really catch it the first time. Um, when it first started happening and then I saw it more. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting are his moods are the same colors as the primary TOS, which I thought was kind of cool. (laughs) (laughs) Not really the mood lighting. And I can't wait for you to see this, to see the amount of time and work and manpower that went into creating Usti. Usti had his own light. That was done on set. That was not in post. That was Mm -hmm. live action. All of his lighting, he had a lighting guy operating it off screen going between those colors to help indicate his mood so we can mm-hmm. get a feel of who he was and what was going on inside Usti's um, brain, I guess we can say. <laughs> yes, but whatever sure. whatever occupies, uh, you know, that kind of rock creature's uh, doesn't have one of those. thinking no. center. Correct. I don't know um, <laughs> so uh, that was, I can't wait for you to see that. And yes, the primary colors, and that is in great uh, deal due to Greg Dykstra, mm-hmm. who created Usti as well as the amazing company out of Colorado that you'll hear about in the and that behind the scenes video okay. who made this creature for us and the amount of time and work you guys I can't just can't wait I mean I had no idea until I started watching the the videos and behind the scenes and these people are craftsmen they're amazing the time and and they okay I just I'm about to like tell you everything that's in the behind the scenes video and I need to shut my mouth now because I'm not really good with secrets so let me just leave it there please watch the video you're going to love it Okay. There will be outtakes, I hope, too, right? Yes. We yes. saw some beauties, and we hope they make it in there. <laughs> That'll be up to James Kerwin. He always kind of assembles our uh, outtake videos. Nice. And I can't Great. even imagine the amount of time it takes to go through all of our takes oh. and like oh. all of our video to find them. So that must be exhausting in and of itself. But yes, there will be plenty. You know what I think is great about that, though, is because we got to see it firsthand. And I can only imagine, and I say this as a compliment to the nth degree, I can only imagine what it would be like when you're on set. But to watch how much fun everybody has when they're supposed to be, you know, all right, quiet on the set. We're going. Scott's yelling through his little thing and everybody's supposed to be quiet. It's just it's just such a fun time. But yet you still are able to get what you need done and put out this product, which is great. You guys are such a family. It's so fun to watch. Oh, yay. I think that's a testament to what the amazing um, production crew that we have. I mean, we started out doing this. We had no idea how many episodes we'd be able to do. I mean, really, we thought maybe we'd only do one. Mm -hmm. We had no idea if anybody would even like it or watch it. The fact that we've gone as long as we have has been, it's just such a gift. It is such a gift. And that we really, truly have. I mean, the amount of hours that our uh, production staff and crew go through to produce this, like our completely unpaid out of the generosity of mm-hmm. their hearts and the dedication to doing their craft well. 
you look at, I mean, look at the behind the scenes stuff on episode three in our costuming department. Look right. at what Ginger Holly had to do yes. to get that freaking velour, <laughs> the white color. That woman, that godsend of a woman, stayed up night after night, hour upon hour, dying, redying, dying, redying to get things. She made a backyard purchase in a <laughs> parking lot late at night out of someone's trunk. Like literally, it was like, like what are we, drug dealers? To get like velour. <laughs> of the same kind of quality that was used so that she could then start this. I mean, the lengths that that our production and team do before the episode, during the episode, Mm -hmm. and after the episode. Uh, This this is just nothing. I hope people can just see it as nothing but the love letter that it is. Our people are the most dedicated, hardworking, loving, incredibly talented family ever. And they do it out of love and passion. And I, how can you not just be in awe of that. And I'm so glad you guys got to go down there and spend a little time Mm -hmm. with these amazing people because they truly are. I I have so much admiration for them. I could puke and I do. (laughs) I just want to puke. It's, they are absolutely (laughs) fundamentally profoundly incredible. And for you to be able to go down and now you saw a glimpse of it and, and you can't describe it. You can't quantify it. It literally is the summation of all these incredibly talented, brilliant people coming together. And the fact that we do have so much fun and don't want to kill each other. Well, sometimes we want to kill each other, but that's, you know, there's a lot of actors there. <laughs> you know us. Everybody, I want to kill us. I want to kill myself sometimes. But they are the amount of love and patience that we are able to approach every everything and 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 have such an amazing time. It is a to- it is so much fun. It's like the world's biggest Star Trek camp. We yeah. also just happen to be making a series at the right. same time. So there's a lot of fun and so much work. That Hell, goes we'll even throw Casey into that bunch of good people, right? <laughs> do, do we have to? <laughs> I mean, love you, Casey. You're great. <laughs> you know, I, I think that, you know, it's, you talked about amazingly talented people and I, I am still wondering where Todd pulled that unhinged Spock oh. from because <gasps> It was like nothing I've ever seen before, and that was phenomenal. I felt that rage, and I felt that uh, that that just raw feeling, and I it was it was chilling. It truly was. He was amazing in this episode, wasn't it? Great, and yeah. and what I love so much is Spock's like there was almost if Spock could be have be filled with terror, not. It was terror, like, you need to lock me up and yeah. you need to get me out of here now. You're not hearing me. I have, will have absolutely no control. You can see that in his face like right. this is hitting the fan. Excuse me. That's okay. Just cuss, but it's like going to like it's it's going to be on like Donkey Kong and you I cannot stop it. And it he was he I mean, I just think is he doing such a great job as Spock or what? Oh. Uh, I mean, for real. Yeah, like, no, for absolutely. Re- for real, I mean, everybody, I mean. Like, Chuck, okay, okay, can we have McCoy's best line ever? It's a rock. It's a rock. Yes, <laughs> thank you. The look on his face. It's a rock. Like, what the hell do you want from me? Are you kidding me? Oh, uh, yeah. That, I will everybody. say, in regards to that, I watched the episode with my wife the other day. Because mm-hmm. I've gotten her into it. And of course, all I talk about is Star Trek continues and this, that, and the other thing. So we watch it the other day and she goes, Chuck Huber as McCoy is hysterical. So he funny. is so great. He's so, he just nails it each time he has one of those one liners. It's just done with such perfection. He is, he's a riot. Didn't get to see him in Georgia either. 
Oh, yeah, you missed all the good people. No. Wow. <laughs> so teasing. Uh, yeah, he, well, Chuck is the consummate actor. He yeah. truly is. I mean, look, look up his IMDb page. The man, he does so much live theater too. And, and he is, and we've, I've been to see his shows. He's incredible. He's so yeah. incredibly enigmatic and engaging. And he's just embodied all the wonderful things about McCoy that make McCoy McCoy. And he just is now, is. He lives and breathes it. He walks it. It's, it's it's funny that you say that because I've said this before. I think I said it when Vic was on. Um, you know, you have you have the original series. I no longer look at Vic or Todd or Grant or anybody Kim playing these characters that were played by Mr. Shatner or Leonard or any of these people. Vic is Kirk to me now, and Grant is Sulu, and Kim is Uhura. That I think speaks volumes to what you all have done on this production that it's not somebody playing somebody who played the character anymore. It's that person's playing that character and they are that character now to me. Um, it's, wow. it's really, it's really amazing to watch. Um, I wanted to go back very quickly to what yeah, Bill's he- comment was about Todd. The, the, the scene that got me was when he first looked up after that first energy wave hit him. And that look on his face was absolutely phenomenal when he shot the phaser for the first yeah. time and we got a glimpse of that in a screenshot a couple of months ago but just the screenshot didn't do it justice when you no. actually saw it live for the first time live yeah. quote unquote yeah well that's oh gosh i just love spock i just love spock i love mr spock so much mr spock i just love mr spock how do you really feel about spock <laughs> i just i mean from my childhood on i just i i find him so incredibly multifaceted and wonderfully fascinating and i i yeah anyway so yes i absolutely agree with you i think there could be no higher compliment paid to um our cast for you to say that that you now see them and i do know that in the first episode it was a little i mean we're just so accustomed to our beloved uh, the beloved faces that we know in those Mm -hmm. roles but especially even for myself after i think it was the second one for me and i think a lot of people the third one as well like it just Right. By the second one, it was it was done. It, it had clicked. I had readjusted, and that was right. it. They were who they are. And I love, you know what I love about this episode too is to see Ahura get yeah, think she gets kind of like, <laughs> which is so much fun because if you know and you got to you got to meet Kim Stinger, oh, yes. Kim Stinger, yep. Yep. who is literally the loveliest human being on the planet, oh, with the a biggest doubt. heart and the most beautiful soul you've ever met, like literally in your life, this woman like whoa, whoa, there's like waves of love that emanate <laughs> off of her, like like, whoa, like I don't even know what like nuclear fallout, like whoa, whoa it's just you're wrong to you pick up on it so to see her get like that kind of anger and resentment and snarkiness was so much fun and then the comment is she's walking off the bridge what is it, pathetic or yeah, something pathetic. like that yeah <laughs> <laughs> she, is, she is hard oh, there for a minute. Great. Yeah. And then the fight, there were so many great fights. Oh, there so were. Fights. Yes. What about that fight scene in engineering? Could you even believe it? Like that shot it takes from the, the top of engineering looking down, and there's awesome. like two huge <laughs> fights going on. And and Usti and and um Gigi in the corner. It was like that was amazing. It was, it was awesome. amazing. So speaking of fights. So when uh-huh. you, your character first sees Usti, you're you're banging on Taylor's door, like, hey, it's McKenna. Let me the f in, and and you you walk in and you've clearly been in a fight that you've started, 
And my question, what happened to the other person? I mean, because, you know, you got this big shiner on your chin, and I they got to be, like, in, in a body cast. My God. Yeah, let's think about that. I never even kind of decided in my brain. I like that. I like that they're in a body cast. They're now in traction. Yeah. McKenna put somebody in traction. And now she's got to go and, like, give their counseling sessions in the hospital about the abuse that she inflicted. It's like, like she's going to, like, have to, like, counsel them to, yeah, to deal through it. I'm really sorry I, I put you in that that they had because of her abuse. I kind of like that idea. Space space traction. I don't think we've ever addressed this in Star Trek. <laughs> it's in zero G. They just they just float. I think maybe maybe who knows? Maybe it was Smith because she gave you the best Kirk karate chop. Wham! Is that not the bomb? By the way, that was awesome. And I let me tell you that drop was not a comfy one. That was like when we were doing, we did that scene over and over and over to get the shot. And we were like going out. Like it was, we were not, we were not playing. So it was like the shoulder, and Kipley was so sweet and so conscientious and very, very careful. But I just wasn't careful with myself. So we were like throwing each other around and she's like, you know, she's barely, she's not even really holding my hair, but like on the next flip, I'm like, flip my head back. And then she's like, does that ha-ha, like karate chops. Back. And then when I fall to the ground during one of those takes, and I think it was it might have been the one that was used, I got up. I was like, "Okay, I need a break for a minute." <laughs> We're like fighting in these incredibly tight little dresses and heeled boots, you know. Doing like, uh, oh man, but that was so much fun. It was so it was such a phys- it kind of hit on so many different areas. I think that we yes. haven't been able to hit on before. Yep. Yeah, we have never had a creature, and this was like a real like a TOS creature. Mm-hmm. A guy in a suit, even though it was an incredibly complex suit with like like metal. He had like a scaffolding on the inside that the suit that yep. the parts of the suit were sitting on inside. Oh, I mean, wow. it's amazing what wow. he was. What what Damien and that's Damien. You gotta you'll see him and learn all about him in the behind the scenes video as well. So we had a creature. We had amazing fight scenes. We had um, like the, even just the phaser uh, the phaser rifle that we hadn't got a chance to see mm-hmm. before certain shots. We got engineering, which right. hasn't been featured oh, yet. Beautiful. There were just so many beautiful things about this episode that were just like, bam, bam, bam. I feel like we we're hitting on all the cylinders. The other thing that I liked, it was such a very strong topic and a very dramatic topic, but the humor that was in this episode, the, we talked about a couple of them, but the other, one of my favorite line of the whole movie or the whole episode was when Vic was looking at Scotty, laying on the floor and you're going to the brig that was fantastic <laughs> there were a lot yeah we got but you gotta i think you need to, you need to match um yes. the level of heaviness here mm-hmm. yeah um right. as i think wh- how we need to deal with things in life mm-hmm. um you have to be able to face these with um a degree of, of levity and you have to be able to have moments that will take you out of that so you can see this with um with the appropriate perspective right and allow people to feel it without getting um without drowning in it exactly because uh, it is in in and as we've seen in so far in just the response of our our donors who got the sneak peek the sneak the sneak peek sneak the freak. sneak peek like of the episode <laughs> um the response that we've got is that it has touched a lot of people and very Excellent. very personally and like I said, the fact that it's been on from both sides of that um, dynamic, I, I, I just think I, I'm just so, I'm so proud. You should so be proud very to be proud. a tiny part Definitely. of this. It just, and the people that are involved are truly the best human beings in on the planet. And um, I just, yeah, it's such an amazing thing to be able to, to be able to do with your time and to right. know, um, to know that it is such a, a labor of love. It's just pretty awesome. Well, 
It is fantastic. Uh, you guys should be unbelievably proud. Let's um, uh, wrap up quickly by saying because you have self-admittedly said you can't keep secrets, we also know that there's another episode coming out in the fall. I know. <laughs> oh, this one is good. I was really excited about this one. I was really excited. And I'll ju- uh, ooh. Okay, what can I say that's not good? I'm so bad with secrets. We know. Um, I know. (laughs) I'm so bad. Um, Okay. No, I can't say that. Okay. This will address something that might not have even been realized was an aspect of uh, TOS and and Starfleet and the Federation in the TOS era but is still incredibly pertinent to us today. Interesting. So, hmm. bum, bum, bum. That gives okay. me nothing, doesn't that, it? It really doesn't give me... I have to be, it's either that or I'm going to blurt it out <laughs> explicitly. So, um, it's, it's, I, and I am so proud also of the way, um, story-wise that we've handled this. And the, showing something in a multifaceted way is mm-hmm. so incredibly important when discussing these issues. And I think we're seeing this played out politically in our own um, current situation. An oversimplification of very complex issues is a very dangerous thing. Um, and when you do not show things fully rounded and fully expressed, um, you do them a disservice. And you take away our ability to truly navigate challenging and complicated situations. And that's what I think Star Trek did very well. And that's what I think, especially on this new episode seven that we're doing very well as, uh, as well. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, just, just taking things down to a, a soundbite or really over, over simplifying things or, or giving a quick, you know, shut down like insult as an answer to a very complicated issue doesn't it doesn't that that never works that doesn't show us anything and it doesn't doesn't pay respect to the people receiving the information star trek watchers and enjoyers are intelligent people and when you deal with complicated issues you need to show them in a very multifaceted way mm-hmm. um and allow uh, allow the viewer to work their way through it and 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 decide through that process uh, how they feel about something. And that's what we're really doing in episode seven too. And I love it. Wow. Well, I'll tell yeah. you what. <laughs> Vic is going to be proud with that answer. I mean, you, you said, you said so much and you said nothing all at the same time. I know. <laughs> you do have a good guest cast again though. Yes. Yes. Aaron Gray, mm-hmm. Bill Billingsley, the amazing oh, Claire Kramer. Yes. Who is like a goddess and amazing and hysterical and funny. And now everyone, we're, I don't know if people understand that when they guest on our show, I'm like, guess what? You're family. <laughs> and so now we like are, you're, they're in it, whether they want to be or not. Right. And now it's like all of a sudden they have so many crazy uncles that they don't even know what to do with themselves. Cause that's kind of like what our whole group is. That's like the so weirdest sitcom. You're in it, in it. Yeah, exactly. So we and we've been so lucky to kind of be hanging out a lot more with Claire too, and her all her amazing people over Geek Nation. If you've never mm-hmm. been oh, over yes. Geek Nation, you need to check. They're amazing, yep. definitely yep. incredible. Yeah, really, really great stuff that they're doing over there. So and Claire is, I mean, a doll, an absolute doll, and very smart, so smart, so smart. Which you know can't help but love. <laughs> so awesome. yeah, it's gonna be good. You That's guys are gonna like it. 
Well, you guys are six for six. Uh, you guys have done a great job. The response has been fantastic. The episode was wonderful. You are wonderful. We love talking to you every chance we get. Hopefully, we'll see each other in Vegas. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Woo! And uh, yes, we will uh, definitely look forward to talking to you again, folks. Michelle Speck, Doctor Elise McKenna on Star Trek continues here, and uh, you guys hit it out of the box. It was it was awesome. I'm so thank you so much. And thank you so much for your incredibly um, personal and uh, beautiful responses and input on the episode uh, from, from your own experiences. That means the world to us. There could be no higher praise given. So thank you. So, Bill, as always, as we said, another boring conversation with Michelle Speck because she never makes us laugh and she never really has anything to say, which is totally <laughs> not true. <laughs> and thanks so, so much to her for, for oh. coming on. That was It was awesome of her to do with all the traveling she's doing lately oh. and uh, all the, the con- convention she's going to promoting the episode. We, we can't thank her enough for her time. I would tell you what, if I had, if I had the opportunity, I would have flown to Houston this past weekend to see her and Gigi live on stage premiering this episode. That would probably have been a great time. Oh, that would have been phenomenal. It would have been awesome. But Bill, as we, as we wrap up the conversation about this coming up between the dragons episode of Star Trek continues, let's talk about a couple of things. Uh, What were your top two or three things about this episode that really stands out for you? I think there are a few things that stand out. The first of which is the story and the script, the story by Greg Dykstra and the script by uh, Vic Mignogna and James Kerwin, I believe. Um, phenomenal piece of writing, a great story. And uh, I'm really glad that that Greg brought this to the table as well as his considerable talent in creating Usti. Um, secondly, I have to say director Julian Higgins did an amazing job in his first episode for Continues. This looks like a Star Trek episode. It feels like a Star Trek episode and it moves very fast. Uh, And then overall, I have to say the subject matter. It's not one that is comfortable for me. And this is an episode that I don't think I can watch more than a couple of times total. I've seen it three times now and it's had a very profound effect on me each time. So it's probably not one I'll watch with great regularity, but I did love it very much. So I'm glad that this is something that we're talking about. And I'm glad that it's a conversation that will occur in, you know, probably tens, if not hundreds of thousands of homes Mm -hmm. uh, in a similar fashion, because I think it opens up a dialogue. I agree. Uh, One of the things that I hope this is, I don't know if this is a stretch. I don't think it's too much to say it would be a stretch. We talked about it earlier. We talked about our Trek 50 project. I would love to hear that someone started their Trek with this episode. I could only imagine what it would be like for someone to be getting into Trek for the first time and having this one hit them as the first Trek. That would be, that would be quite something, I think. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thinking about that from my perspective, it's scary. Yeah. You know, because even yeah. now as we talk about it, I've had a little bit of an unsettled feeling the whole recording simply because of the way this subject matter affects me. Mm-hmm. But I can only imagine the way it may affect some others. So if this were somebody's first episode ever, I, I would be floored. That's quite a bar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really yeah. is. I think briefly I'll say the top 
few things that I took out of this episode. We've actually talked about all of them already, but uh, Gigi Edgeley's performance was phenomenal. She, yeah. I mean, we've seen some amazing guests on Star Trek Continues. This was this was something else to watch her work her craft. I loved the strong female roles and parts in this episode. I thought it was it was it was about time and it was done uh just wonderfully. Um but I think one of the biggest things that I took from this that were the, was my favorite was the behind the camera stuff. Julian's direction. The camera work was magnificent. The lighting as usual was just fantastic and the stunt work all of that stuff that takes place a lot behind the camera uh, stood out to me, I think, the most. It, it, more than any other episode we've seen so far from Star Trek Continues. I have to agree with you there. I also have to uh, go back and point out Andy Farber's score. It, um, oh, yes. He keeps turning in you know, home run after home run as far as episode music. And you know, to he and his collected band of musicians, they, they really did an outstanding job. The music really plays very well in this episode, and mm-hmm. it, um, you know, whereas in the in uh, divided we stand, there were times where the music was a character. Yes, in this episode, it perfectly underscored everything that was going on to the point where it just blended so beautifully. So kudos to the maestro and to uh, and to his orchestra. That was it was beautiful work. Absolutely was. So, uh, so Bill, I guess uh, the last question we have is, what's the verdict? Is this Star Trek or is it not Star Trek? Uh, I have to say, you know, even as, as much as it affects me and as personal as a tie uh, that I feel to this, this plot line, it, without a doubt, 100% this absolutely is Star Trek in its, in its finest tradition. You know, it's it it emulates the original series on every level, and I think that it addresses a an incredibly serious topic in a unique and creative way. I agree one hundred percent. I I would go so far as to say I would be shocked if anyone ever said this was not Star Trek at its finest, because as we know, the original series never had a problem taking on a tough topic head on. They did it and they did it well. But I think that this episode takes on an extremely tough and uncomfortable topic and does it on a level that we have not seen in a TOS style episode ever before. I I have to agree with you and how cool it is to know that there's also a cameo from Rod Roddenberry in the same episode. You know, (laughs) yeah, I know to, to have something that is so squarely Star Trek, you know, in its in its writing and in its feel and its its look, you know, to have Gene Sun in you know in a in a walk essentially a walk on part in the episode is mm-hmm. is really kind of a nice touch, and I, I think that this episode hits every mark possible. Absolutely, and I would go so far as to say we had the the unbelievable privilege of being there on the set after the filming of those scenes were done with, with uh, Mr. Roddenberry. And he, it was at that time where he was telling the entire cast and crew how great STC was and how he thought that his father would have considered Star Trek continues canon. And you can't get a better compliment than that from anybody. 
Well, you can't get a better example of that than this episode. Exactly. Well, Dan, it's time to put a wrap on this one. We, um, I, I loved the episode. I know you did too. And I can't wait for episode seven later this year. Yeah, it's coming out in the fall and uh, I'm sure we'll start getting some hints uh, as to what it's going to be all about. We've already gotten some information as some great guests. Uh, so uh, down the road, not too far after Vegas, we'll start getting a little antsy again, I think. We'll have to uh, pry Mignogna for information when we see him in Vegas. Uh, yeah, I'll make sure that we get some info out of that guy. <laughs> yeah, we won't get anything from him. He's tight-lipped. He will talk on for five minutes and won't say a damn thing. Oh, Mignogna for president. <laughs> Dan, we would be incredibly remiss if we didn't thank our friends in the band Five Year Mission for all the amazing music they let us use for this podcast. We, you know, we sound beautiful. Let's just be honest. But we wouldn't sound a tenth as good as we do without their awesome tunes. You know... Did you know they're the house band for STLB this summer? Say what? I know. Five straight oh. days of five-year mission in their music if you're going to no. STLV in Vegas. So please go to five-year mission, check out all their tunes, buy some albums, get some swag. Let's please show them some love and, and thank them for letting us use their music because we do every week. They are awesome. And you know what I watched this past weekend, too? Oh, God. It was funny. I was I was going through, you know, Deep Space Nine is my favorite. So I'm, I found yeah. some... I I found some hidden episodes. There was this great one. It was about some guy who was a singer and, and he decided to, you know, fall in love with some Klingon. It was the written house of Quark. I think was what the episode was. I don't remember. No. Oh God. (laughs) Hey, at least it wasn't Fark. Right. Come on, Dan. Why didn't you tell our (laughs) listeners what's coming up next week? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's time to ask the questions, folks. I, uh, we got to say that. You know, it's been almost a year and a half since we started this journey. You know, we figure you guys should know anything that you want to know about us. So next week, it's the Ask Us Anything episode. No, no. Wow. Okay. Yeah, well, there you go. Okay, John Gill, thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, for more great Star Trek discussions, please check out our friends at the Tricorder Transmissions online at the TricorderTransmissions.com. Really, they they have six shows. I still marvel at this. That's amazing. You and I struggle to do this one. That's because I can't stand being with you that long. Wow. Okay. And for all the latest news on everything in the Trek world, please visit TrekNews.net. Make them your first source for Star Trek news and information because they certainly are ours. For now, this has been episode 61 of Trek Geeks. We hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut for Oosty. Okay. Bye-bye. Bing bong. I hear you. There we go. I didn't hear your mellifluousness. Hey, hold on two seconds. I got to go grab my phone. Okay. To, to get my challenge code to log into Google.
Okay, take your time. I'll be right back. All right. Now that you stepped away from your desk, I hope you're recording this so I can tell you just what a complete buttwad you are. Yeah, that's what I said. You're a buttwad. But you're my buttwad, so I guess it's all right. You know, you started this adventure, and I'm just along for the ride. And I and I got to thank you, Bill, because if it wasn't for you, we'd never be where we are today. I got to say that. I'd like to sing a song to you or about you or to you at some point. I'm not going to do it right now, though, because you're not here to enjoy it. So I'm just going to sit here and drink my margarita with strawberries and pure real clementine juice in it. It's very tasty, I might add. So here you go. Ah, that's very good stuff. It's very nice. I hope you had a good day today. Uh, we drove back from Nashville. It was a very lovely day. A little gray, but nice. Red Sox won. You know, that's good, too. Um, it looks like uh, you have a vacuum right behind your desk. Um, and now that you're sitting in front of the desk, it's, oh, you're sitting down now, and you've got a funny-looking grin on you. And I just love everything about you. It's just been a great time the whole time. I hope you're recording. <laughs> You've been talking for two minutes straight because I see it in the waveform. <laughs> uh, how are you? Good. So I got an email last night mm-hmm. that somebody tried to reset my Facebook password. Oh, lovely. So I turned on two-factor authentication for both Facebook and Google. Yep. Good idea. And Good I forgot idea. that my phone was downstairs to use the Google Authenticator app. Yep. I use that at work. I got it on my phone. Yep. Yep. So here I am. It's nice to see you. Hey, speaking of phones, I got something I want to tell you. And I figured, why not talk about it in our possible outtake so I can get your real-time reaction? Yeah. I'm up for a new phone next month with my new plan. I'm going Android. Wait. So you, who has done nothing but laud the praises of Apple... Saying how much you love your iPhone and Android sh- I don't think I've ever said that Android sh- Uh I, I do, but okay. Um, <laughs> how Android sucks, let's put it that way. And y- the Android phone couldn't be as a tenth of, as good as your iPhone was. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my reasoning for it and okay. then uh, and then I'll 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 be interested in, in getting your response. I've got an iPad, love the iPad, not gonna change to any type of other tablet. See I get everything I don't. want. What's that? See that you don't. I shan't, and I would ask you to cease and desist while I'm talking, hater. Don't be a drama queen, and don't be like some other low-end podcast and just talk over me. Well, then how about <laughs> go f*** yourself? <laughs> but I'm not going to switch to a, an Android tablet, so I've got the Apple version of what I like in the tablet. But the stuff that I like to use for Apple, whether it be iTunes or the movies or, or iMessenger or everything, I'll have in the tablet. I'll just go Android phone. Galaxy 7 is what I'm looking at right now. Possibly the Edge. I have to decide what I'd want better. The Edge, I've seen it. I can't think yeah. of a compelling reason to spend that much more money just to get it. Here's here's why I might. Because when I'm on call at work, or for work, and I have my phone sitting like this on my nightstand, if I get a message or an alert comes through, I can just look at it right here instead of having to pick, reach over, pick it up, and read what's going on. Aren't you gonna that have would to, be the only thing. Aren't you going to have to put on your spectacles? No. No, I wouldn't have to. I don't think so. So you had the, the LASIK surgery? Because I know you're blind as a bat. What about your hearing aid? Keep going. You're on a roll. Anything else? 
No, I'm just I'm asking questions because these are things that I'm concerned about. Uh, my eyes are okay for the most part. Um, I did have LASIK surgery. They are not as strong as they used to be, and I do have a hard time seeing small text. But I've never really had a problem on my phone. I'd have to see what it looks like on the edge. And as for hearing aid, I'm selectively. I have a selective hearing problem, which means I usually just ignore what, what I don't want to hear, like you. What? Exactly. You're, huh? you're exa- I, yes, exactly right. 